Thanks, Danny and team. Hey, you can grab a seat, and our kids, you can go ahead and slide out to Redemption Kids. Hey, if you're, if you're new here and you've got a child and haven't checked them in, just follow our volunteers up to the top, and they will make sure to get you squared away today. Um, and hey, if you're a new guest, we would love to connect with you. So if you're like, hey, this is my first or second time here, um, we've got an app, Redemptional app you can download. There's a section on there. You can hit connect and let us know a little bit about yourself or just head to the lobby after the service. Go to our Connect Center and say, hey, I'm new here and um, would love to just um, introduce myself and get connected, but we're glad you're here to worship with us. Um, hey, quick announcement for those of you that are members. We do have a members meeting tonight on Zoom at 8 o'clock. Um, so you should have all that information. I think the link is on our website or in an email you received. If you're not a member, you're still welcome to, to join that Zoom meeting. Um, and so that is tonight at 8 o'clock. And then every once in a while, you know, I'll get a question. Hey, do you guys, like, collect offering at Redemption Hill? You, you've probably noticed we don't pass usually pass offering baskets. Um, most people at Redemption Hill give online or through our app, but I want to share a quick celebrate. Yesterday morning, many of us um, at Redemption Hill that are involved in foster care um, gathered together for a breakfast. Um, and these are foster families, and then those that are like, hey, we just are passionate about this, and, and we want to support foster families. It was a reminder to me, I know some of you actually give financially to support foster care at Redemption Hill. And so that's just, I want to say thank you for that. That was a tangible example. Yesterday, we got to be beneficiaries and receive connecting with other foster families. So thank you for those who give to make ministry and things here at Redemption Hill happen. Well, hey, grab your Bibles or open your phone. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. So and when you go to the New Testament, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you come to Acts. So go ahead and turn to Acts with me. And uh, we are going to be looking at Acts 2. I debated on whether I should invite somebody to come up on stage, a volunteer today. Where's Faith at? Faith, are you up for... We're not going to do that today, so I decided against, you know, thinking through, you know, could we turn this into America's Got Talent or something up here. Um, no smoothies today, um, but here's what I've been thinking about this week. I find that there are certain rhythms and seasons throughout the year that are helpful for me to hit pause, to hit reset, and to recalibrate, and right now is one of those. You, you, often many of us think of January, like January, new year, new start, new beginnings. For me, it's the fall. Like my sum, summer rhythm with my family is much different than my fall rhythm. My kids are out of school. My wife's a teacher, so she's home. So now for us over the next week, it's like what do new rhythms look like with a new rhythm for our family when Lee goes back to work and school starts back for my kids. So last week was super encouraging to think about what is regular intake and soaking in God's word look like. This week, I want us to think about the rhythm of community. The rhythm of community. This past week, I was reading an article by Tim Keller. And he said this, many things in our culture work against the maintenance of real community. 
Did you hear that? Many things in our culture work against the maintenance of real community. We are conditioned in countless ways to think and act as individuals only. Not as members of anybody. We think and act first and foremost as individual consumers. Our needs are most important. I want you to just simmer with me on that for a second. How has our current culture impacted your maintenance of pursuing community in the life of the church? Let me just give you a couple examples that I was thinking about this week. Who listens to music through Spotify? My hand's there. Look, I see a number of hands. Think about this with music. If you don't like a song, what do you do? Skip. You actually, you don't even, like, for those of you that are my age or maybe a little older, like you know what CDs or tapes are, like you have to buy an entire album to listen to that one song that you want. And you may have to listen through multiple songs that you don't even like to get to the song that you like. Now you just create your own playlist in Spotify. You just individualize everything that you want to listen to. And you're like, how does this have to do with community? It, Nothing directly, but I'm wanting you to think about the individualistic nature of our culture where everything is shaped around what you want and what you need. I'll give you another example. Think about Netflix. I mean, before streaming services, like you turn on TV and you watch what's on TV. But now you watch whatever you want, whenever you want, and if you don't like it, you just skip. Or you record and watch it at a time that, that suits your schedule. If you don't like the TV schedule. Like the, these things are shaping us more than we think or we realize. Here's a key question that I want you to wrestle with. How has our highly individualistic culture impacted your view of the church in the importance, value, and practice of spending life together? This morning, we're going to go all the way back to the early church. Like where we're picking up today, we, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn about the life, teachings, death, resurrection of Jesus. When we come to Acts, for those of you that are new to Christianity, Acts is like the history book of the early church. So when you come to Acts 1, it's Jesus with his disciples, and he's commissioning them. And he says, look, I want you to wait. I mean, the Father is going to send the promised Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. So what do they do? They wait. What happens in Acts 2? I mean, they're praying the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I skipped a part here. After Jesus, like, says this, he ascends to be with the Father. So now like Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. You've got the disciples there now who are without Jesus. They're waiting. The Spirit comes in Acts 2. And Peter, one of the key disciples, apostles, preaches the gospel. He's explaining what's happening. And he's going back to many Old Testament references. And he goes to Joel chapter 2 and other places. And he's teaching them about why Jesus came and now the work of the Spirit. 
And as Peter's preaching, the people hearing that ask him a question. It says, they were cut to the heart. And they said, Peter, what should we do? Peter says this, repent and be baptized. And guess what happened? In verse 41, it tells us that so those who received his word, those who trusted in Jesus, turned from their sin, were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Like, mind-blowing. Just like, think about this. 3,000 people. The church is birthed. Now, what do these 3,000 people do? That's where we're picking up today. Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. We're going to look at verses 42 through 47. God's word says this, and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This morning, I want to give us three observations as we reflect on the early church and what this teaches us about the role of community and life together in the early church. But before I get to the first one, I just want to pause here for a second because I think this is an important point. This community was a response to following Jesus. Like, if, if you're new here today, maybe you're thinking, like, okay, like, man, I don't know all this Christianity thing. Like, what are the next steps or what are the rules or, or what do I need to do? Like, the heart of Christianity is the good news of Jesus. Like, this whole pursuit of community, they weren't doing it so that God, like, that they would earn God's favor. It was a response to they trusted in Jesus, there was now a new identity, and they wanted to know him and do that with people together. So those 3,000 people who heard the gospel repented and believed. I was reading a book earlier in the summer that made this argument. It said, he said, I'm not, as, I'm not sure that most people wake up pursuing truth every day, like Hey, I, mean, I just want to know what's the truth today. But most people do wake up thinking, what's going to make me happy today? So maybe you're here today, and I don't know where you're at on your journey with Jesus and Christianity. Maybe you are. You're like, man, I want to know the truth. But maybe you're here today, and you're like, man, I'm not as concerned about the truth, but I do, I am concerned about what's going to make me happy. Here is what the gospel is about. The gospel is about how Jesus satisfies the deepest longings in your pursuit for happiness in life. That is at the heart of the gospel, that he came that you may have life and have abundant and have it to the full. It is not some set of, 
of rules that you've got to do to clean yourself up and make yourself right before God. It's all about what he's done and is inviting you into his life. And what we see in community here is they got that. And they're like, now how does Jesus shape how I live my life? And so the first observation I want to give you is this, is what we see is the priority of community. Look here in verse 42. And they devoted themselves. Who is the they here? Y'all can talk back to me today. It's all right. Who is the they? It's those 3,000. Like, they, these very, and so just like, this is for free here. Community is not this like thing that's reserved for the like wicked mature Christian. Like we see very new believers here and these are the things that it's describing that they did. So whether you've been a believer for many years or whether you're like, man, I think today I'm going to step into saving faith with Jesus, this is for you. They devoted themselves to, to and we have this list of things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. What we have here is not a picture of isolation. Like this isn't individualistically, this is what this believer did. No, they, there's this community. Look at, I mean, just read through it and see they, there, together, together. You see these words that are repeated. And so you have this picture that this communal life was a priority for them. And what they devoted themselves to, even think about this language. They devoted themselves to. It is a picture here of, of, of ongoing practice. It wasn't like, hey, we did this once, and then maybe we dabbled in this. No, these were the things that characterized our lives. Hey, let me ask you this. If you had to choose one word right now, that describe your current practice and pursuit of community, what would the word be? This is where you may not speak back. I mean, you may, this may be more helpful for you to like just ponder on this one for yourself. One word. The, they devoted themselves. The, this is a word that's describing their, would devotion be the word that's describing your current practice of community. What about this? That word that you're thinking about right now, the people that know you best, would they call, nope, flag on that one? Or would they affirm that? No, yeah, you're right. That, that's an accurate assessment. What, what would the people who know you best say about that word you just chose there? Look at where we see the priority of community. It took priority over their relationships. Look at verse 44. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. It took priority over their time and their calendar. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. It took priority over their resources. Look at verse 40. 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is where I was contemplating bringing somebody on stage. Anybody like really good juggler? Like, 
this is like, you know, consider bringing some balls here. Is anybody like, man, I would crush it at juggling. I'm, I don't see. Monica, really? Ready? No way, really? Okay. I want you to think about this. I, I've just got, man, I'm, I'm juggling family. I'm juggling work. I'm juggling chores. I just throw church in here. Is this, is this the view of what life looks like? I mean, church is just another thing that I'm to juggle on my calendar. Man, I got to go work out. I'm going to throw my 21-day challenge reading in the Word, throw a little this in there, and I'm just, man, I'm just trying to keep life going. I think for many of us, church is just another thing to juggle. And when you think about this analogy, it's me as an individual at the center of my life, and I'm thinking of all the things that I'm going to juggle that are going to revolve around me. But maybe it's possible that as we look at the early church, that there should actually be a shift. Because what I see happening in the early church is that there was a shift in their identity that then shaped their lives. Instead of them as an individual thinking about all the things I need to juggle in life, it was them as a part of the Christian community being central and thinking about everything revolved around that. And with that, the church isn't just another ball to juggle, but it rather shapes my identity. Let me ask you another question. Is church for you primarily a place you attend or a people you belong? When you think about church, is it an hour that you attend, is it a building you attend, or is it a people that you belong to? I think one of the downfalls of COVID and everything going remote is that we just think of church as something we watch or listen to. I mean, we've been joking here recently, like, Lord, would you provide us a building? Lord, we, we want a building. But hear me clearly, a building does not define a church. We often, I, I try to be intentional, usually when I'm doing the welcome, welcome to the gathering of Redemption Hill Church. Redemption Hill Church is not Medford High. Redemption Hill Church is a people that gathers and then scatters. Buildings are just tools and resources. But when we think of the church as a building, then we can find church to a location and a space and a time. But when we define church as a people that shapes our identity and we belong to, it shapes all of life. The church is not a service. The church is not a building. The church is not a task on my to-do list to check off. The church is a people. One of the consistent analogies, when you read through the New Testament, you're going to hear Paul use this, and he's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. It's family language. This is why when I think about discipleship, it's helpful for me first to start with my identity before I think about what I do. Obviously, following Jesus shapes my identity, but as a follower of Jesus now, I'm a family member God is my father, and I've got spiritual moms and dads and brothers and sisters and children in the faith. And the church isn't just like a family, it is a family. 
When you get that, it shapes how you spend your time, your money, your resources. We see, first of all here, the priority of community in the early church. Second, we see the practice of community. Going back to that verse 42, Luke identifies four key practices that we see here in the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And I want to walk through each of these here briefly for us. The first thing we see is that they learned together. This is what it means here that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Look, when Jesus gets a hold of your life, there is a hunger to know him. The apostles' teaching is helping us to follow him, to know him, and to pursue him with our lives. But when we think about like this devotion to the apostles' teaching, it's echoing the Great Commission. One of the last things that Jesus shares with his, with his disciples, he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what's he say? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So whether you're a new believer or you've been a believer for years, this never stops. This pursuit to follow Jesus and, and it's learning, man, oftentimes I just need to be reminded of the commands of Jesus. I forget. So often we easily forget. And so it's consistently putting ourselves, not just individually reading God's word, it's to be taught God's word. We do that on Sundays here, but also as we gather throughout the week. And I believe our, wor- our learning, I want you to think about this. Our learning is not to just build up head knowledge. I mean, a few months ago I got to preach on 1 Thessalonians 3, where Paul's talking, where's he praying? That your love would abound and increase and overflow if our knowledge and our understanding and our growth in the apostles' teaching is not shaping how we love people. That is the ultimate test. Is is this teaching shaping how I love God and love my neighbor? And so, man, I'm becoming more like Jesus. I want to learn how to follow Jesus, but I also want to learn how do I help others follow Jesus. So, like, our learning should be about following and fishing. It ought to be about being with Jesus and being sent out. It's, it's, we're holding these intentions, these two intentions, as we seek to, to learn about him. And you see at Redemption Hill, we try to model this on Sunday mornings. Why do we gather on Sundays? We want to be regularly teaching through the scriptures so that we can learn about following Jesus. But we also do this like we see in Acts 2. We do this in homes. I mean, you got a handout as you walked in today about community groups at Redemption Hill. One of the reasons we're doing that is we're trying to model what we see here. They gathered day to day in the temples, and then they were in their homes. They learned together. Second, they shared life together. It says here, this is the word translated, the fellowship. In Greek, it's this word you hear, koinonia. It means to share with someone something in common. What the sharing is here, this true koinonia, is, is this sharing. It's a result of their common faith in Jesus. Jesus is like, man, they're like, man, I'm in with Jesus. You're in with Jesus, and let's share this life together. 
And so Daryl Bach in his commentary says, there's a real sense of connection to, between, and for. In other words, there's this identity language. I'm responsible because of me sharing in Jesus for these other people that are in this with me together. So they shared life together. We see here, they shared their lives. I mean, this just blows my mind. Now, I get in Acts 2, we're just reading what the early church did. Like, like it's an account. But I do believe the scriptures record this, and they're holding us up to say, man, if this is what the early church is pursuing, man, who were to say we 2,000 years later, like should be pursuing something different? We ought to be asking, okay, how is our church being shaped by what we see in the early church? So look at verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions. Has it, has it crossed your mind that potentially God has provided something for you and it's not intended to stay with you but to bless somebody else? Now let me just speak into like maybe some critiques here for a second. Look, I'm not arguing that we shouldn't own property. I'm not arguing for like just a completely communal way of life that you don't own anything and that everything is everybody else's. But I am saying this. When we look at the early church, they were wicked generous. There's no way around, like reading through the early books of Acts and them saying, man, what's mine? I'm willing to potentially sell something to meet a need by a brother or sister around me. One of, it's like some of the most encouraging moments in my life at Redemption Hill is when I, word gets back to me as a result of an error, like uh, being an elder. Like sometimes you just hear things of what's happening in community groups, and it's of sacrificial generosity where people have given large amounts because of the specific need of a brother or sister in Christ. That reflects the gospel. Our God is wicked generous with us. He's not stingy in his outpouring of love and of grace. And this is why, man, some of you, you, you've heard us talk about the seven pursuits of a follower of Christ. You hear these echoed in this passage. You hear us talk about followers of Jesus spend time building healthy relationships with family at RHC. You, You can't say, I'm doing life together and know about needs if you don't spend time together. You hear us talk about serve with intentional love in the church. You see, like, what's, you don't see the word love here, but what's driving this? It is a love for God and neighbor that's pushing them out. We talk about followers of Jesus sacrifice time and money with a lifestyle of generosity. I mean, look at verse 46 here. It says, um, they're attending the temple, breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and what? Generous hearts. Generosity is a word that captured the early church. They shared life together, they shared lives together, and they cared for one another. Man, I don't have time today, but if you were to read through the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament, there are what's called 59 one another commands. Love one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Weep with one another. Celebrate with one another. Instruct one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Like, you can't do that 
You can't one another somebody by yourself. You can't one another somebody and just show up on a Sunday morning. You, you, it's, it's, it's hard to do. Like, this is not the primary concept. Like, I hope one another is happening. But primarily, this is probably happening outside of a Sunday morning in relationships of people doing life together. I was thinking about this. So in addition to reading, I mean, 21-day challenge, I, I've been trying to work out every day. Um, it may not, you may not be able to tell. It's okay. Um, but, uh, man, physically, just, man, getting through the rhythms of the summer and, man, like, trying to get some more energy. And so last night, I was getting my Saturday workout in upstairs. Um, man, I've got my heavy weights, you know, 20-pound dumbbells, you know, I'm crushing it. Um, and my kids know this. I don't want to have a conversation when I'm working out. Anybody else? Dude, when I'm working out, I'm just trying to stay alive. Like, I'm like breathing, I'm sweating, um, and I, I mean, I sweat a ton. Um, I got like towel draped over me, and I'm just trying to like crush it. And so they know I'm not like talking to them. Callan walks by, keep going, Dad, keep going, Dad. And every once in a while, she'll hear me say, man, this is so hard, I want to quit. She'll say, don't quit, don't give up. You and I need that in the church. And if I'm not around others, they're not going to see the grind. Man, this is hard. Life is hard. And to hear somebody say, keep going. Don't quit. I'm with you. You need others, and others need you. They learn together. They share life together. They ate together. Can I get an amen? Come on, amen. We see this in a couple of places. You hear this, you see this phrase, breaking of bread. You see it in verse 42. You see it on down in verse 46, breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. At a minimum, this means they were eating meals together, like actual food. We see that in verse 46. With, they were eating their food with glad and generous hearts, like they, they were eating. So at a minimum, some commentators suggest this could also be a reference to partaking of the Lord's Supper. So, you know, Jesus' last supper and said, hey, I mean, do this in remembrance of me. That there was just, a re- hey, today, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. A regular, visible, tangible reminder of the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Either way, they intimately interacted with each other. I mean, this, this language of breaking bread is this picture of, of people in homes, of eating of doing life. What did they do in their meals? We're not told exactly. My assumption is what's being described here also happened in their meals. There might have been teaching in some of their meals. There might have been praising and giving thanks. It says they were joyful and generous hearts. There might have been prayers. Like that should not be unusual usual to grab meals with people and talk about what God's teaching you and how to follow him and praising God for his evidence of grace and work all centered around the work and person of Jesus, of what he's done for them. And then finally, it says they devoted themselves, themselves to the prayers. We see prayer show up in verse 42. 
We see a great example of what this prayer looked like in Acts 4. We're not going to read it today. But we hear them calling out to the sovereign Lord. We hear them praying, God, would you give us boldness to continue to preach the gospel even as we're facing threats and persecution? We see at the end of their prayer, the place is shaken. They're filled with the Spirit, and they are sent out to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. The picture here is of a community of believers committed to seeking the Lord's will and direction. Why would you pray, God, your kingdom your will be done. We want what you want. These are the things they devoted themselves to. I mean, we could hit pause here for a second and you could do a separate column in your notes and say, hey, if I were to just take inventory, what would people say, these are the things I devote my life to right now? And you may even be thinking, John, this is wicked hard. Yes, this is hard. We need people and people need us. And guess what? People are going to let you down. Like maybe one of your fears is I don't want to step in into community because people are going to hurt me. And guess what? Man, we're sinners and we're messed up and we're going to hurt people even unintentionally. We don't see this picture of, hey, step in a community if everything's safe and there's no risk involved. There's always going to be risk. I need you, you need me, but we need Jesus most. And here's what I want you to think about this. Because there could be a temptation for us for the pursuit of community to be this idol. When a good thing becomes a God thing, that's a bad thing. And so maybe for some of you, like, you're lifting this community piece up, and if community gets pulled out from underneath you, your life falls apart. And this is why, yes, you need community, but you need Jesus most. Jesus is what frees you to step into any room. And you can say this, I need you, but I don't need you. Does that make sense? Like, in some sense, I need every single one of you. But in another very real sense, if I've got Jesus, I don't ultimately need you. And so I hold those intention. When when I am accepted by Jesus, it frees me to step in community and even receive being let down by others. Because I can go to him and see he was let down by many people. And he persevered. He clung to the Father. God, would you give me that grit to emulate your example? So we see the the priority of community. We see the practice of community. Finally, we see the power of community. It says, all came upon every soul. Wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In verse 47, it says, they were having favor with all the people. And I think this is allusion here to people outside the church. As a result of this infectious community, they had such a favor, those who recognized this radical community. And then we see this phrase here, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me give you a few observations here. 
the first one is this. It says, the Lord added to their number. Who added to their number? God did. I mean, think about the power of sovereign hope as you think about sharing the gospel. In that same book that I mentioned earlier that I was reading through, Matt Smithhurst, he, he, says, he says, think about the world as like a spiritual graveyard. And he says, here's our job. Our job is to walk through New England like a graveyard and speak the gospel to caskets, to dead people. Our job is to walk through and speak to caskets. What's God's job? God cracks them open. I can't crack any casket open. God does. God adds to their number. This gives us great confidence. Man, I read this, and it makes me want to go share my faith because God adds to their number. How did he do it? How did God add to their number? We know through reading the New Testament that people are saved by hearing and responding to the good news of Jesus. So who told these people that were added, who shared the gospel with them? These 3,000, they're the ones who did it. We're just not told. Like, that isn't the focus of the text. Luke's not saying, hey, and everybody went out and every day they were sharing the gospel and people were getting saved. No, Luke just says, the Lord added to their number. The focus isn't on their sharing, but there's no doubt in my mind that everyone was sharing the gospel. This is what Jesus had said in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. So they're sharing the gospel and people are getting saved every day. So it leads me, like, I love asking these, these questions about the text. Well, then why doesn't he mention their sharing? I think it's because the focus is on the text is the power of their infectious community. Their community was a powerful display of the gospel, especially towards outsiders. People were taking notice. I think this is what John, Jesus gets at in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Their love was on display, and it was compelling. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, when they're asked about man, how should I introduce my unbelieving friends to Jesus? This is what they say. My answer is to find ways of introducing them to the Christian community. The life of the Christian community provokes a response. Let our relationships provoke questions. If we live this kind of way, it is provoking to those around us who do not experience. And also this, man, this picture of like evangelism in community, Matt Smithers says, it's as if the wind is in our backs when we witness alongside of others. So the Lord added to their number. I think there's another good observation here as, as well. The church and salvation went hand in hand. Let me explain this so you don't misunderstand me. The church and salvation went hand 
in hand. In other words, how did you get added? How'd you get added? You believed in the gospel, right? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You get saved, and that's how you are added, okay? But in response, if God saves you, you're a part of the church. Do you see the implication? There's no such thing as solitary Christianity. The people he saves, he adds to the church, Those who added were people who got saved. This picture here, this thought that I can be a follower of Jesus and have nothing to do with the church would be foreign to the early church. The final observation is it says the Lord added people daily, which means their evangelistic activity wasn't sporadic or occasional. John Stott says this, just as their worship was daily, so was their witness. And this is the story of Acts. Acts is the story of the Spirit driving the church to witness to Jesus. And as they do that, more churches arise out of that witness. So the church is a missionary church. Before we wrap up, let me share few more thoughts related to this. I'm talking about life together and the power of community. But what I also hope you see here is the tension between community and mission. The early church pursued radical community, but not as a closed circle. One of the things that we've got to fight against as a church is the temptation to turn completely inward in our pursuit of community. If we do that, we will not start new groups or new churches, and eventually we will die. I mean, practically, just think about that. If you completely turn inward, close the circle, you will die. You can just start the clock. And so we've gotta pursue community with this tension of mission. And think about this. We're launching community groups in a couple of weeks. Starting new groups is hard. It should be hard. Why? Because you don't want to leave your current group. I love these people. Like if you've done community well, it should not be easy to go start a new group. If it's easy to go start a new group, that's a reflection on your previous group. It should be hard because you've developed family relationships with people, and yet for the sake of mission, it's God, send me out. Because, man, just dream with me. Wouldn't we want this kind of compelling community on every neighborhood in Medford and every contiguous city? Like, wouldn't, like, what if on every street we could say there was a compelling community of believers that if somebody wanted to step into, they could do that? We want to be a church on the move, which means connect with a group. But, God, man, I would even challenge this. Would you put your yes? Would, you, would your answer already be yes if God were to say, man, we need a group here, and I want you to lead it? Okay, God, my answer is yes. You show me the timing and the place. I'm in. Because we want to move. 
So here's the point that I want to leave you with today. Prioritize life together to experience and extend transformational community. Prioritize life together to experience and extend transformational community. One of the primary ways that you're going to experience this at Redemption Hill is through community groups. We have a fall and um, and spring semester of groups and then a different rhythm throughout the summer. The week of September the 10th, our groups are about to kick off again. And last week, as you guys know, Tanner challenged us with a 21-day challenge in the Word. I want to give you a challenge with this. Would you, would you take up the challenge to say, I will attend a community group twice in the month of September? Why twice? Well, once, man, you could go when they just had a bad, you know, your bad game, like, right? But you go twice, and, and you really give it a shot. Go twice. And it doesn't even have to be the same group. As I think about, like, the reasons people tell me for not connecting with a group, here's some of the thoughts that have come to my mind. One, I don't know anyone. Maybe that's you. I don't know anyone at Redemption Hill, so why connect with a group? Well, if you don't connect with a group, you're still not going to know anyone. Like, that doesn't change unless you connect with a group. It's just really hard to get to know somebody on a Sunday morning. You're, that's going to, like, and I can, I can almost say this. If you don't connect with a group, you're probably not going to be with us in a few years. Like, this is really one of the ways that you, like, this becomes family for me. Some people say, I'm afraid of people seeing how messed up I am. Guess what? Join the crowd. We're all messed up. You're just going to see how messy we are. Church is messy because we're messy. And we're going to do that together. Some people say, man, it's hard with kids. I get it. You guys know this. I've got five kids. Senior in high school down to middle schoolers. It's wicked hard. So here's some options here. Get creative. I know some in our church who alternate. The husband goes one week, and the wife stays home with the kids. The wife goes the next week, and the husband stays home. Maybe that's the best rhythm for you. Some of our groups are more conducive for kids than others. In some of our groups, we just bring all the kids in. It's chaos, and that's okay. That's what family's like. Maybe you can't attend every week. I would say I would rather you attend two out of four a month than none. Maybe you say, I can't make it every week. Attend when you can. Or what if I don't like the group? Go try another one. I think there's six or seven groups that are listed on the handout. Here's my point. We see here this ideal picture for Christian community, and we must strive for it and seek this if we're going to be a church on the move and an effective witness in our city. You need community I need community. We need Jesus most. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the number of people that have poured into me, that have shared life with me, that have cared for me, that have eaten with me, that have taught me. God, we thank you for the good gift of life together. God, would you grow us in this? God, I, I, I dream, I really do dream of the Lord adding to our number day by day those who are being saved. God, help us live on our toes with an expectation of you moving in our city. God, would you multiply 
our gatherings and life together in homes all across our city. God, would you show us, man, the idols are things that we're devoting ourselves to that are not shaped around this new community of following Christ. And God, we ask for your grace to lead us. God, as we seek your face, God, we pray and ask all that in Christ's name. Amen.